Hello, and welcome to The Intellectual Bend. I am David Gonzalez of Weird Fish Media, and this is my show. Hey, everybody. Okay, for today's episode, I was asked to join my good friend Daniel Rivera, who hosts his own show called The Community of Wisdom Seekers. And him and I are good friends, brothers, colleagues at Faith to Influence. And so that's what this discussion is going to be about, talking about Faith to Influence retreats, um, men, culture, and community. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right. Well, welcome, community of wisdom seekers. And uh, tonight we have something special for you. Well, that's when we're recording. It's at night, but you may be watching this at any time, and you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, tonight, we want to talk a little bit about faith to influence, and uh, you're going to hear from me as well as my co-host, my uh, co-partner, and sometimes co-sharer of bed space at some of these retreats is uh, my man, David Gonzalez, and he is our Director of Media and Operations, and he is the phenomenal artist behind all of our videos and a lot of our pictures, if not all of them. I do take a few, so I was, that's why I was throwing in like my 1% credit there. But he is awesome when it comes to that. He owns his own media company, as well as a general manager of a maritime company, as well as as well as, right? Not not like he could do anything else, like he's got a bunch of free time, as well as a man that dominates, him and his wife, dominate in the MLM space with a company that does essential oils, doTERRA, the better of all of them. And he's also a father of four kids. Yes, four. See, I lost count just because there's four of them. Yeah, yeah don't, so forget, don't that, forget the two dogs. Oh, okay. And two dogs. Nice. So, wow. And, oh, and he loves philosophy. He loves theology and he loves Christ. First and foremost, this is a man that's after uh, just following Christ the best that he can, the best that he knows how, and has a phenomenal uh, story and testimony, which we probably won't be sharing tonight. But we want to just come to you and talk to you about what we've seen, uh, being a part of Faith's Influence. Uh, David's been a part of it from the get-go with creating content at the first retreat, creating the logo, lots of different things at the start. And he's been there throughout. And then I was uh, a client actually at their first retreat back in February of 2019. There was a group of eight men that showed up and two leaders, David and Justin Janowski. And uh, there was 10 of us in a family room in an Airbnb. So we just want to talk about what we've seen, how God's shown up. And so with that being said, uh, David, I'd like to uh, just open up with you telling us how you got connected to Faith to Influence, how that all came about. And really, I think we saw God really putting together the company he wanted to have uh, start with uh, you connecting with Justin. Yeah. It's really interesting how when you're faithful in the little things, how God will prepare you uh, in the long term for other things. <clears throat> and I think you know, starting in 2017, when I was in the corporate world, I was working for a maritime company, one of the biggest maritime companies in the U.S. And uh, I, I just all of a sudden developed a fascination slash interest for film, for filming and creating really cool artsy cuts and just telling this, just telling stories, telling my family story. 
And I thought it would be a great skill also for me to learn film work and editing and, and marketing stuff because we, at the time, were, were building our multi-level marketing business. So I just, I just, you know, did my thing, grinded it out, learned the, the media stuff, learned how, how to use a camera. And that started in 2017. I retired June. I retired from the corporate world in June of 2017. And I just started doing free work, working for people, filming things, doing my own stuff, filming weddings. A lot of it was really cheaper for free for family members. And um, so I wasn't getting compensated very well with my media company. But I, I, I remember going, I had a friend that I met with in Instagram. He wasn't really a friend. He was just a guy that I was networking with who, who gave Justin my number and just as a referral, and then Justin reached out to me to, to bring me on to uh, Epic Impact, which is now Abundant. And they're a San Francisco-based mastermind uh, community group type thing. So yeah, I went to so I went to San Francisco, did this thing, was blown away. And um, shortly, sometime after Justin had left, I didn't know about it, but he and I was kind of already getting close to my way on my way out of the of the year commitment that I had done with them, with Epic Impact. And I he reached out to me and he really just wanted me to come to a retreat and do some film work and take some photos because while I was at Epic Impact, I was taking my camera with me and just filming things. One, because I'd never been to San Francisco and I wanted to capture all that stuff and see what I could do with the footage and make it really cool. And I've got a couple of videos floating out there. And so he, he saw that and he thought it was really cool. And so he thought he would just barter with me, get me to come to a retreat take a take a few photos take a video make a cool highlight film for him but when he reached out to me i was in the process of doing things to build my craft and get better at filmmaking and i i was just wanting to challenge myself i was a little bit bored with all the other things that i was doing and so i wanted a new challenge and so when he called me i was like dude yeah i i you know i understand the corporate stuff i understand business i understand some of the legal stuff. I can help you with your contracts. I can help you with your marketing, build your website. I can do your film work. I do your photos. Um, I could do a bunch of other stuff, help you with your social stuff and the technology side of things. And uh, the thing that attracted me to it is because I thought it was interesting how these things, I, I just love the idea of being part of a startup and helping companies start up. Uh, the company that I'm a GM with right now, they're a small company. And the thing that attracts me to them in part is they're a small company and they want to grow to be a bigger company. And I want to see if I can come in there, clean up their systems, processes, help them uh, develop their safety, their culture, and just grow to be a bigger company. So I'm just always, I'm always curious to see what I can do and how God's going to use me in certain situations. So when Justin reaches out, it's like, okay, this aligns with my faith. It, It gives me the ability to meet different men who are seeking after God, who want to better themselves as family men, as businessmen, as followers of Christ. And I get to participate. I get the privilege of participate. And also, I believe God has is made that a mandate in my life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to, to disciple people, to mentor people. And so I do it in an interesting way. So this is, Justin really just provided me an opportunity to, to do that. So that's, that's how we got plugged in. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm so attracted to this, because every time we have a retreat, I get to have discussions about the Lord and talk about things and people's gifts and hear them and try to understand them on the micro level. And then on the macro level, I get to see what's happening with our culture. 
And uh, one of the things that I know you left out, but I would like for you to put in and uh, share with us with how you came about making an agreement to, I guess, just work for the company. What did that look like initially? Obviously, a brand new startup didn't have a budget for someone like you. So what was, and I know this is kind of throwing the humility out there, uh, but I would like for you to share what that agreement looked like, what that conversation was when, when you and Justin did discuss what payment would look like for doing, uh, coming on board and, and helping out with the things you've helped out with. Yeah. Initially it was, it was just a barter. Like he wanted me to come. Um, his initial proposal to me was to come, he'll pay for, he'll cover the retreat, the flight, the room and board. I would just do all the film work, help, help him support him a little bit with the retreat. And, uh, I kind of told him now, I'm, you know, I'm not really interested in, in that kind of stuff. I'm not, but I can, I can help you if you want help. Um, I'd love to be a part of helping you grow this. And so ideally, because he just had left his job, his previous job, he had no income. Now he, he was prudent with his money and he had, he had a savings saved up and he was, he was being wise and they've done some, some adjustments in their lives. But my goal initially wasn't even about me being able to serve men. It was just me, but it was me primarily wanting to support him so that he can grow this business, make, make money to support his family. And then from there, it was, it was like, look, when you get to the place when your family's taken care of, you know, he had just, he just had, um, baby grace I and mean, she was a couple of months old. And I was like, when you get to the place where your family's taken care of, then, you know, take care of me. That was my only real request. I didn't give him a number. I said, just when the time's right and you'll know when it is, just take care of me. And, uh, we can, we continue to have the discussions afterwards and we had our first retreat. It went really well. And then he's like, you know, I feel like it's time to get you something. And he slowly increased my thing. But initially we were thinking it'd be a year, two years, potentially even three years where I'd be supporting him for free. And based on the agreement that when the time was right, he would take care of me. It's awesome. And you, you know, you bring up a very interesting point that we've seen really from the beginning, and that's really God's abundance and God's blessings on the company as a whole with the impact that we've seen at the retreats, just having men's lives. And I can speak from personal experience and, to this day, it's been the best, most transformational three days of my life with anything I've ever experienced. And I've gone to a lot of different types of transformational type of, of opportunities. And, um, you know, this is, this, this is definitely one that, uh, I don't know if I'll ever have three days as transformational as they were. And there's a lot of things that go into that. And I would like to discuss that uh, as we, you know, proceed here, but, but that's the thing is just God continues to provide, continues to give us opportunities, continues to just lead us in such a special way. And whenever things seem scarce, right, uh, from a worldview, he quickly eliminates that. And, and we just, but we do lean in and trust and know he's going to show up. And, and even in this COVID season where we saw like there could be pushback or retreats, there could be lack of finances, there could be certain things that pop up that could be of concern almost for the first time at some level. Man, it's almost like we're, we're, we're getting even more abundance in a time that doesn't really make sense. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that comes from Justin's leadership of trusting and leaning into Christ, you know, and, and what God's called him to. And then just that, that effect trickling all the way down. So 
maybe you can give us some of your perspective of just some ways that I, because I, I know for me, I've been in awe and shock really since the start. You know, my first retreat, seeing the emotional impact it had on the man, seeing the level of connectedness that strangers had after three days and still this day, I feel very connected to those guys. And I still feel that way about every retreat. And, um, but some things that maybe you've seen that God's blessed the company in a way that really is hard to explain. And really the only way we can is by saying God did it. Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting thing. I think, I think your observation is exactly mine. When people ask me about faith to influence, the, the first thing I usually tell them is how blown I, how blown away I am that we're able to get 10 random individuals um, with um, somewhat of a Christian background, some stronger than others. Um, they come to our retreat and they connect and they're vulnerable and they, sh- the sh- they share the things that they, that they share, like the most intimate things that they share so quickly. It blows me away that, that that kind of thing is happening. And I think, and I think in, in part because we have an impact and it's not like, a Tony Robbins or anything, an impact where we're impacting 36,000 people at one time. This is a very intimate thing. And, and the first thing it takes for people is outside of trusting God is they have to trust us. Mm. I mean, we're a fairly new company. We don't, we're not super flashy. I, I think maybe the marketing piece throws it off because we, we, we've done well with the marketing. Our photos look good. Our videos look somewhat good. And, and I think our website looks great. And so people see that and they think, wow, this is a legitimate company. But at the end of the day, when we tell people we're just, there's only going to be, a, a, you know, 10 of us, 15 of us at max, they have to trust us that we're going to deliver the goods. And um, it's so interesting that people, one, they trust us. And I think a lot, a lot of that has to do with Justin and the way he communicates and the way he, he draws people into them, into him. And he's able to make them feel safe. And when people feel safe, they trust you. And so his ability to do that is really well. And then when you have when you have that uncanny ability to draw people in and, and allow them to feel safe with you, and you follow it up with our mark our our media is good, our team follow up is good, the emails are well well put together. I, I think people can really trust us. And then so they come to these retreats, still a little bit uncertain. And then the first day, it's like people the floodgates open and people are sharing really vulnerable, intimate things and out of that comes healing people are really able to like form these bonds that are going to get that are going to sustain them and grow them and and in a lot of ways and i'm convinced of this thoroughly that a big part of the way we experience god you know outside of his scripture and the spirit filling his spirit and looking at creation is through community through the through the body of saints and 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 other things like that so when people go and they experience intimacy, they experience humility, they experience people that are dealing with the same things that they're dealing with, fatherlessness, pornography, um, struggles with work, struggles with marriage and raising kids and not having a father figure themselves, it, it's people know that they're not alone and, and, and they start on this really cool journey and, and we've seen some great transformation. Yeah, you bring up a very interesting point there at the end uh, that I would say for me has been a big part of what we're doing with this YouTube channel with people coming out and telling their testimonies. There's 
there's something special about hearing the struggles that a fellow believer has and to be able to relate with it and and know that you're not alone. And it's interesting because we know we're not alone, but we really don't know we're not alone until we hear someone say mm-hmm. they're on the same path as us, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes it does something to us. One, sharing that story, right? Sharing the struggle, sharing the darkness. I call it the darkness to light. Yeah. You know, when we when we bring that to light, there's something, there's this weight that's lifted off of us. And I, I would say that that's something I'm seeing with my YouTube, but more importantly on the retreats when men come out and they really, some of them, I say this all the time, some of them have been hanging on to weight for decades, right? And it's like a secret sin or it's this like shameful, shameful past at some level or this uh, abuse that they experience that they've never told anyone about or just select individuals, but never someone they just met, you know, within a day or two. And when they really just let those things off, you see this completely different person. It's like this, this light and this joy that you really can't explain. And if you knew the person beforehand, and then you see them after that release of the weight, whatever that is for them, you really almost don't recognize them. I mean, really, the way they they carry themselves. And we were actually just talking about this today. One of the individuals, you know, every time I'm interacting with them now, it is just, there's so much joy. And there's so much like lightness to their countenance, right? Like they just carry this and it's so beautiful. And what I think of is like, that that's freedom, right? That's freedom. Sin binds us, it's bondage. And we, we really like allow Christ's blood to do what it was meant to do. We really allow it to forgive us and let us be free of sin. That's what happens. I mean, that's the only way I can explain it. And it's interesting because like you said, we have Christians come out different levels in their walk and you can see a difference, right? And yeah. if we, we, can, we can be a Christian and we can also choose to carry the weight of sin still where we haven't fully surrendered and let go of it or come against it and repented. We continue to let it weigh us down. So that being said, I just think that that's a special dynamic of the retreat is we allow a space where that can be emptied. There can be confession, there can be repentance, and then there can be this support, right? This community of men that say, man, I've been there. I am there or I haven't but I can have compassion for where you're at because I have my own sin and let's do this together. We love you regardless. And, um, and we're in it together moving forward too. And to know you have a community behind you, they know where you fall in and they know what you look like in your best light. They can now hold you accountable moving forward. So that's just such a, a good thing that you bring up to light of like this, this um, opportunity to just let go of all that burden, that weight, and really move forward in a more powerful, lighter, joyful manner, which is so, so impactful for where all these men go after the retreat. They go home to a wife and kids and community. So cool to see. What do you think? So why do you think it's interesting to, to note that so many men want to be heard? you know, there's, there's this idea that men are, 
always trying to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. They're, they're trying to posture and wear masks all the time. And I think that's true in a lot of senses, but with what, with what we're experiencing at faith to influence and what you're experiencing with your community of wisdom seekers, it seems like there's this cry out, this desperation to just be heard, to get their stories out to, I think even to hear themselves say their story. And there's something, there's something, um, refreshing and rejuvenating about it well i mean why do you think men are trusting you and jumping on your thing and and saying what they're saying so it's a very interesting question and i wrestle with it a lot actually uh even when i have a sales call with somebody we call them discovery calls Hmm. and a lot of times even on those calls, I have men share things with me that they maybe didn't share with anybody else before. And man, just the call by itself, virtually on a Zoom, releases so much. I mean, there's, there's just a freeing that happens. So I think, so this is my, my, and this is a personal thing for me, right? It's like the sin that I had, had I exposed it to certain areas of my life, you know, there, I, I felt, which doesn't mean it was true, that there would be, there was just a lot of shame around it. Like if I expose this, now I'm like this dirty sinner or, you know, am I, am I going to be accepted? Right. We all want to be loved. So if we go to Tony Robbins and talk about, you know, his six needs, one of them is, is love, right? We, we want to feel love and rejection of that is one of our biggest fears. So knowing that maybe if I brought it out to my family, they would reject me at some level to the church. They'd reject me at some level to my friends. They reject me at some level. So what do I do? I don't want that rejection. I don't even want to give it a chance. So instead, I'm going to hold on to it. And so I think I think what 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 I'm and and you know my family was pretty open for the most part. I went to churches that were pretty open, but I think we need to be more aggressive with basically being open and vulnerable and honest with like what's really going on. So this is one of the struggles I'm having of like how are we not more aggressive with a pornography, right? This is an industry that is absolutely just, it's just corroding things from the inside Mm -hmm. out. And yet I don't hear a lot of aggressive like action being taken against it. You know, I I heard a Ted talk one time that was talking about it essentially being legal prostitution because most people that are acting and engaging in it, wouldn't do it if there wasn't payment, right? So really it's like this, we've, we've created a legal space for something that's really illegal in most places, right? Yeah. And yet we just let it go and it's free. You can easy access. And we're just not, I don't feel like there's a strong enough, like when, when, the, when you look at the stats, you know, I've heard different stats, but like 80%, you know, of, of men coming to church are somewhat active in seeing it or have seen it in the last month or whatever. I'm not, I'm not, don't, don't quote me on these, but it's a significant number. And then not to have like classes or instruction against that. Like in my opinion, like every church should have that as a core curriculum and we should be attacking it legally. We should be attacking it as a church saying, we don't want this because for me, I was exposed to it at a young age and at a lot of levels, that that seed that was planted, I've had to fight it ever since then. Yeah, you know, and had it been illegal, had it been harder to access, right? La da da. 
well, maybe I never would have been exposed or would have been later. And, you know, I could have put the flames out and the fire out earlier. And in many ways, it has messed things up in my life. And it was a pattern I had for such a long time that even to this day, it's still a pattern that I have to come against because it's so wired neurologically, right? And so it's just, so that's just one of the things where it's like, man, this is like, we, we got to do a better job here. And that's what I'm seeing with a lot of the men that come out. It's like mm-hmm. a lot of them have similar issues with pornography or they have similar issues with, um, you know, something that they held back, but they didn't feel there was a safe space for them to bring it out. And so what, what's my answer? Well, now as fathers, like, can we create a space where our children do come to us with things they struggle with? Right. How do we do that as parents? Yeah. As a church, how do we create a culture of like, we're all sinners and we all profess that and we all confess that. And it's okay. If you have something on your heart that you're battling with, bring it to us. We want, we want to like help you through it instead of just giving you some fluffy feel good stuff. Right. And then sending you on your way, not convicted. You know, that's one thing I appreciate about my pastor is that a lot of times I walk away convicted. <laughs> I'm like, I got, I got change. You know, I got a choice to make here. And what I'm seeing a lot of places, not all, but a lot of places, it's like, they're just motivating us. They're inspiring us to be better for the day and the, the, the week. But there's like, there's not that conviction And that. You know, for me, like we should always be growing. We should always be like trying to get closer and more like Christ. So anyways, I know I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think it's just us doing a better job as a family, right? Leading our house, leading our family. Once again, I'm convicted in that area, leading my 13 year old boy. Yeah. And then and as a church, making, making it at a safer place um, where it's like, it's accepted. Like this is, this is an issue, you know, but, but just to go back to the pornography thing, like I never really, I never really had an opportunity to address it. Yeah. I didn't have like a class I could go to. I didn't have resources that I was, that I was shown. Like I could seek it myself, but I didn't have anyone like really confront it. And so not to say that's a failure of these organizations I was a part of. It's to say we can do better. And I think we just, as we become more aware, we just need to be aggressive with it. I don't think we're aggressive with sin, right? Like we should be and, and aggressive in a way of like, let's deal with it not aggressive, like we're going to condemn people for being sinners, right? Yeah. Well, the, a couple of interesting things that you said there, I thought the it's interesting that men are afraid to be vulnerable with the people that love them the most. The people that are in their lives that should love, accept, forgive, turn the other cheek, receive these people, or the exact people they're not telling these things to. Instead, and this is my experience too, because I've done a couple of these calls where they're, you know, we're looking through their vision and we're, we're just having a, a little 30 minute session and they'll tell me things that I'm thinking, man, do you have a church? Like, do you have brothers and brothers and that, that are mentors or that are holding you accountable? Um, like, what does your wife think of this? Are you telling her? It's so interesting to me that they'll tell us this, tell you and I these kinds of things over the phone, or they'll come to a meeting with entrepreneurs who might or might not be Christians and divulge all this stuff because they're, they're holding it in with the people that they should be most telling that to, which is their loved ones. So I think it's interesting that, that we do that. 
as men, I, I think I'm guilty of it as well. So going back to the pornography thing, and like it, it's it's you're right, it's such a rampant thing, and it's such a distortion on our lives. I mean, I think you and I were talking about earlier. Um, we were talking about just taking a lot of times when we look at certain things in our lives, we can always go back to the garden, you know, Adam and Eve, and just really draw from what happened there, that first, the very first scene of the fall in chapter, you know, Genesis three, and. It's amazing what little things, these little seeds, these seeds of doubt, how they distort everything. I mean, because of a little bit of doubt, because the the serpent questioned or made Eve question what God had told her and she couldn't recall and she added to something, she added to what he said, it just distorted everything. And because of that, we have generation after generation after generation of inheritance of sin. Like we're born into the sinful nature and it's something that we have to combat. And a lot of us men aren't equipped to combat that very well. I mean, we're living in a, in a culture, in a city that, that is drawing us away from God's kingdom. And the devil has a part to do with that. And also secular men, you know, paganism and things like that. People that are cultish and people that are Gnostic, they are pulling us away also. Like the culture is pulling men into themselves so much so that it's affecting their ability to be fathers, to be husbands. It's affecting their ability to communicate effectively with the people that they most love, the people that are going to be there to support them and help them the most, they can't even go to those people. Instead, they find themselves going to strangers. And so I think our retreats are really effective at creating a very intimate atmosphere where men feel safe enough to tell tell us these things and get these burdens off their shoulders and they're freed. And they they finally know what freedom tastes like. Mm. They, They finally know what it means to not carry this heavy weight on their shoulders and they love it. And, and when they leave, they're right back in it again. Mm. One of the, one of the things, you know, my, my dad was always in and out of prison and usually I don't share a lot of things about my family, but he may hear this, he may not, but my, you know, my dad was in and out of prison and we grew up in California. And the thing is, is that, you know, prison life can be hard but it also becomes a way of life and you get used to it. And so that when you come out, life is harder. It's better for you just to do something, mess up and then go back in because everything, the routine's there, you're taken care of. There's a lot of safety, there's clicks, there's things like that. But when you get into the world, there's all these different challenges and stuff that they're not prepared for. And when people come out into the world, they go right back into their old influences. They go right back into their old communities, walking the same streets, seeing the same things under the same abuse or the lack of father, a father figure or mentors. And they never, they never learn how to be productive citizens, productive family members, productive local, you know, local community builders in their own sphere. Right. And so the interesting thing is that, you know, we get to, mentor these people through that. If some people work with us for a year and we kind of get to mentor them and and come alongside them. And the hard thing is that when people don't join our thing and, and, and do the thing with us for a year, especially people that need it, like our, our encouragement is usually, you know, you have to join a church. 
You have to be plugged into the small group. Don't just go to church. Like going to church is okay, but you have to plug in, like serve on the parking lot team, you know, be a greeter, do something to where you're working alongside your brothers and you're building rapport and you're building relationships so that they can hold you accountable and mentor you and invite you over for dinner so that you're not alone and, sh- and talk to you about the struggles of being a father talk to you about the struggles of dealing with an emotional wife or a wife that has high expectations or whatever the, the case be. But so many men try to do it by themselves. And I think in, in part and in parcel, what we do at the retreats is try to show them that they, they can't do this alone. They need community. Yeah, that's uh, that's really good. Um, the, the community piece is, is so important and, you know, I, I joke around with this, but it, it's actually really, it's actually really true. You know, I, I, I was a part of a Bible study when I, when I came back, I wanted for my first retreat, I wanted to essentially bring back the faith influence community to my own community. So I started a, a little, um, basically some business minded men started a little Bible study that we got together once a week. And then I got invited to another one and then I got invited to another one. So I was going to three a week and then I just got invited to another one last week. That's virtual now. So now I'll be attending four once things get lifted with this COVID season. And, um, so anyways, I tell people that and they go, Oh my gosh, you're like so good. You, <laughs> I go, no, I'm that bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like and that's really the truth. Like the times that, you know, like during the holiday season when we weren't getting together as much. And now with COVID the first couple of weeks, we weren't really, I was like, I was pushing the groups. I'm like, we got to get together. Like I need to, I need to get in communion. I need to get in the word and you guys help me get in the word, you know, to, to kind of create that. Although I shouldn't lean on them for that, but, but I was, and a uh, man, that's just still the way I feel like it. It's that I need it. If yeah. I, I because if I don't, I know where right? it's just unfortunate, but that's the case. Yeah. And, but I do know that the more I get into the word, the more I have that community, the more I have that accountability, the more I'm confessing things that are coming up that aren't congruent with the Christ walk I want to have, the, the more I mature, right. And the more I'm able to, to, I'm more aware, right. Of how the devil's working on me, right. How he's trying to distort things just a little bit, how he'll throw me a little, you know, a little bait, right. Or a little fish flake I'm thinking of. Right. And I just have to like get in my Bible study, got to get in with my community, got to call a friend and say, hold on to me. All right. Don't let me go here. Uh, I I don't want to give in. So I think uh, the community piece, you know, that's what I'm hearing too on a lot of these testimonies is there, there was a community factor. You have to have community. Like, yes, God can do whatever he wants on his own. Right. Saul went to Paul, middle of the road, boom, changed things forever. Paul writes most of the New Testament. He can do that whenever he wants. However, there is this piece. Adam, he noticed Adam wasn't good alone, brought Eve. That was like our first community. And I think at some level, God designed us that way. And, you know, and we're in his image and he desired relationship. That's why he made us. He wanted to have relationship with things, right? And, and people. And so we have that in us where we want that connection. And, and you're right, it's just so hard to do it alone. And one of the biggest things I hear from people just in general, you know, they're saying, I, I don't need church, right? I, I don't need that. I don't need that. I, I, Christ knows where I'm at. God knows where I'm at. I'm doing my thing. We got our own little, you know, secret, whatever relationship over here. And, and I go, 
I, I don't, I don't know how that theology works out. I don't know how that, that doctrine works out. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying you have to go to a building. You do need community. It's so important because I know how I am and I know how the flesh works. You don't have that. I know what you're probably doing. <laughs> I, I don't, yeah. I, I, you know, and yes, he will forgive you. And yes, those things are still well, true. They, God, but yeah. No, I think a good way to, to, to flip that a little bit. It's not about, so when you think, when people, people give me that response too, like, I, you know, the church, I am the church. The church is wherever I am, right? I'm the invisible church. No, that's not, that's not what Ecclesia means, right? Like what, what Ecclesia means is like, it's the incarnation, the incarnate gathering of, of the community of saints. Like it's the physical gathering. But usually when people give me that response, like I, I don't, I'm good. Like God knows me. I have this, this faith, right? Like my faith is good. But the thing about community and there's a reason why we ought to be plugged into the body because it's, because it's not always about you. It's not about what you need. A lot, a lot of times that church needs you. It's not that you always need the church, although that is true. It's, it's, this, it's this mutual thing that's happening. And a lot of times people segregate themselves to saying it's about me because they, they are consumers, right? They're consumers of the church. And we've made it easy, especially in COVID-19, this season of COVID-19 where we can consume church live stream it and sit in our pajamas and consume church and not have to rub shoulders or, you know, um, cross paths with the person we might've had a debate with or whatever, right. Someone we don't like or whatever. We don't, we don't have to do that anymore. It's, it's made it a lot easier, but we, but we can't look at church as something just for me. It is for you, but also it's about you giving to giving back as well. It's an opportunity for you to serve and plug and be outside of yourself because it's not just about you. But the, the and I think that's a big problem in, within the church. And it's not just a church problem, it's because our culture, our politics, our society drives us to believe that faith should be a private matter. Practice your faith, don't practice your faith in school. Don't read your Bible in school. Don't talk about Christ in school. Do that at home and at church. All these things should be a private matter. And that is, that is contra what the Bible teaches. And the thing about community, the thing about God creating Eve and the thing about community isn't solely about relationship, although that's a big part of it. It's also about the cultural mandate of going and working the ground, like cultivating and serving and and furthering his kingdom and stewarding the things that he's given us. Like we shouldn't do that alone. It's, it's the classic idea of like, you're sitting there playing video games and you hit a high score or you get that perfect uh, golf game or whatever football season you're playing and you throw your hands up and then you look around, there's nobody there to experience it with you because you beat this game or you hit this record by yourself. So it's about relationship. It's about doing work together, stewarding the gifts that God's given us. God isn't just given us relationships. He's given us things to do within the context of relationships. Therefore, we ought to do them together and not isolate ourselves. And the biggest thing that, that gets men into trouble and causes them to fall into depression and pornography and to all the things that they fall to is because the, the devil has cleverly seduced them and lured them into believing they're good on their own. I'm, I fall victim to that all the time. 
And I know what that looks like in my life. And, and that, in, that greatly inhibits my ability to communicate to my kids, to express love, to receive love, to mentor them, to father them. And it's a very dangerous thing. People, if anybody here listening subscribes to that kind of thing where I'm good without plugging in, I'm good with seeing church on, on Facebook or YouTube, um, you're, you're leading yourself you're leading yourself to destruction. Thoughts? Really good. Yeah, it's really good, man. Um, one of the thoughts I have is when you're talking about the church and the community and the fact that, you know, it's not really about you. It's about being a piece of the body, right? And, and all of us together are more powerful, right? And, and it's an army, right? We're able to have more impact because of that. And, and I think at the retreats where we see that, where everybody comes and, and is, is pouring into each other. Yeah. So we, we teach some things about receiving feedback and how to give feedback, but there's this give and take and you see it all throughout the weekend. And that's something I've, I've received. You know, I remember my first retreat where I was giving feedback to a few people, right? And then I was receiving feedback. Matter of fact, uh, my my first retreat, the feedback I received was pretty direct, and the individual just basically called me out in a positive way, but just was like, "Look, if I was you, I would do this," and it had to do with my fatherhood, and so you know it's personal; it's a very personal thing, and I, I was wrestling with it, and then ended up having a conversation with them, and the outcome was really good. Like I needed to hear that from him, and. The interesting piece at our first retreat, we had a couple of individuals that weren't necessarily professing Christians. And this was one of those individuals that called me out. So just to see God use someone that maybe wouldn't necessarily say they are his son yet, um, he still used him to yeah. really get what I needed to get out of it. And really coming into that retreat, I was thinking, I, that's another thing I see at the retreats. A lot of times men come thinking they're going to like get this thing out of it or they want these outcomes. And then, Boom. It's like a 180 and God totally gives them what they need. Yeah. And I, I use yeah. this a lot too. I joke around. I say, we just get men away from the distractions so God can actually do what he wants to do to them. Right. And work in their lives the way he wants to work in their life. Um, and one of the thoughts I have around that, you know, one of the guys that I brought out to the retreat, you know, we're doing introductions and we're not even through the introductions. And we, we have God totally just, doing his thing. I mean, the, the, the man couldn't get through his introduction without just totally breaking down. Yeah. And literally in the introduction, there was just, there was freedom, right? That's where he was wrestling with it. And there was all this stuff and it just came out all the garbage. And then the rest of the weekend, right? He was just a different mm -hmm. person. Yeah. And he has been since then. And it was literally yeah. in the introduction. And I asked him later, I said, well, what, what happened? And he's like, Man, just as people were, he was like, I wasn't really sure why I was there, what I was going to get out of it. And as people were introducing themselves, God was showing me exactly why he had me in that seat, in that room. He revealed it to me. And he said, when that, when that was all hitting me, yeah. I just, it was all coming out, all the garbage. Yeah, I, I, I recall that. And what's interesting about our retreats is I think a lot of the work we have content, we have the days filled out. I think a lot of the real work happens amongst the men. Um, 
we're we're leading content, we're asking questions, I'm in the back, you know, facilitate facilitating conversation, watching the guys, making observations, playing the music, creating the atmosphere. But really the key the key thing is that, you know, as a primer, we we invite God into the into the retreat. We 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 pray over it heavily, we pray before we get there. And we we always pray that that God would create a space or an atmosphere that would allow these guys to to be touched, to to see his face, to feel his presence, to to let go and be freed of whatever they're that's holding them bondage. And I think that's the key to our retreats. Why I think why our model works so well is because we we keep them small, we create an atmosphere that's very familiar, very safe. Um and the guys just they sense that immediately. And I think your point to people coming for one reason and getting a completely different thing is such an accurate thing. You know, Justin is a good salesperson and you can tell that when you're talking to him because he can sell you to the retreat. So they, so he has value in that regard, but I think a lot of people come, it's my assumption that overwhelmingly people come because they want the sales stuff and then they get exposure to the relational content, to the masculine journey, to the, the greater sense of community, to, um, his story, maybe even to my story, just to what we're doing and how we're trying to impact and allow God to use us to move men forward, to build them up, to strengthen them, which inevitably strengthens the kingdom of God, right? It builds, it builds soldiers for Christ. I think, I think people sense that and they just, they're, it fills them like nothing in this culture can fill them. Nothing that they strive for, not the success, the money, the accolades, all that stuff. Cause most of these guys get a taste of it, but with any kind of situation, you, you can't keep your situations. No one is able to hold on to their situation because things are always happening. And if you have a good business year and you sell a lot of product and then the next year just doesn't happen that way, things change and you have to innovate. And if you don't innovate fast enough, then it, it affects you directly. But when they come and they experience that and they experience what we're doing, I think that fills a big gap for people. It helps them connect like business, family with, with God and what that should look like when those things are, are operating optimally. So I have a couple of points I'd like to tie in that you brought up there. And then also before when you were talking, and that is that we are, we are created to work, right? So, um, well, after the fall, right, he said, look, you're going to work the land. Um, so this is going to be your, your punishment. So, so we are to work. And also, um, well, even before that, we were supposed to tend to the garden. So, um, it's a little bit of different language and the punishment, but you get the point. Yeah. The, there's the work piece. And then there's this striking the balance of family, faith, you know, um, how, how do we integrate all that? And actually just yesterday I had some revelation that I felt God had given me because a lot of times that's what we're helping them with. How do they get their priorities in alignment with their actual schedule, with reality, with how they're actually living their life. And a lot of times men know their priorities, men and women, humans know their priorities, what they want, but they don't always align it with what they're doing. So why does that happen? Well, because we're not intentional with it. We let things kind of get us off track and we don't focus over and over again on like making sure we're striking that balance. But the thought that came to me was this, that we should always be working. And this is the thought that happened is this, 
like back in Adam and Eve's time, did they, did they like have a nine to five schedule? <laughs> like my thought is like they woke up and they just did what they had to do until they got tired and they went to sleep, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you know, they fed themselves when they got hungry. And so we like created these structures and these schedules to say like, this is how it's supposed to be. But like when, when we were created, we were just supposed to work. Now, does that mean that we're always doing our job, right? Our career, the thing that makes us money. No, that's not what I'm saying. But everything is work. Like, being a good father is work. Being a good husband is work. Yesterday, you know, riding my bike for exercise, but also for just, you know, stress relief, that's work, right? Laying down to meditate for 30 minutes, that's work. So my point is like, everything can be done in a way that it's work and it's glorifying to our king. Everything can be glorifying to him, I believe, yeah. to where we're doing it in a way that is us using our God-given gifts to enhance either who we are to be more powerful for that impact that he's put on, right. you know, mission he's put on our life or to actually doing things that are directly impacting the kingdom. So, cause I was thinking of riding the bike. It's like, well, how can I ride a bike and glorify him? Well, it's cause I want to, keep my mind, you know, oxygenated and, and keep it healthy, but also my body, you know, the temple that I've been given to where I am physically fit and able to, you know, have more energy so that I can spread the gospel. And, and when I'm around people, you know, uh, just be more of a vessel for the good, good news. Yeah. So anyways, those are just some thoughts that I have around that. And, and so that being that, that having that new revelation, it's like, it's not about like figuring out the time. And I know we've talked about this. And I'm going to let you take this part away of like having a schedule and a structure and how caught up we get on that. Where, where should we really be? What should it really look like when we're not leading ourselves and trying to control everything? When we really like, like God lead us like moment by moment, what does that look like? Yeah. I think that, I think the interesting thing about the work and everything can be work we, it, it could be like an oxymoron, right? To say that we have to work at not working so hard because, because as men and, and women as well, but, but primarily men, they, we try to work ourselves to everything, work ourselves to success, work ourselves to please God, work ourselves to please our wives. When sometimes our wives don't want us to do anything. They just want us to listen a lot of time, God doesn't want us. To, in fact, he commands us to rest and we have to work on, on a Sabbath, right? We have to work on being intentional to, and it's not to say like, it's not to nitpick it and say, well, if I'm on Sunday or Saturday, if I'm whenever you Sabbath, I'm going and playing football with my friends. It's not about not physically doing anything. It's about getting a reprieve or a break from the barrage of life the barrage of work. So if you don't have that imbalance, like if you have that imbalance happening in your life, then you have to create a space and God commands us to do it. This is not descriptive. It's prescriptive. He commands us to, to rest so that we can actually sit down and enjoy with our families that which we've toiled and wrestled and, and worked along us, alongside other people to do and to create. Like faith to influence, we work hard, we create content, we do things, 
And there should be a time where, and we've done, we've had our retreat in January where we get to just be together and enjoy the fruits of the community that we built and the things that we've done with our hands and with our brains and with the gifts that God has given us. So he creates these times to help us keep things in perspective, to keep him into perspective. So we have to be careful with the control thing. So it's really about ownership and and submission. Those are the two, those are the two things that you want to juxtapose. Like you have ownership. Our culture tells us we should own things. We should be the kings of our kingdom. We should own our property. We should own our business and we should be overall and have control and be and master our schedule and master our morning routine. Where God says, no, submit. I will give you these things and I will give you the abilities to work these things. But you have to remember when I come back, those are my things. And when I call for my things and when I ask for it back, then you ought to give it back to me because they're not yours. I'm giving you authority and stewardship and responsibility over the things that are mine to take care of them. And I will take care. I mean, he's stewarding us. He's fathering us at all times. One of our, one of our rules of engagement is God is always fathering you. And, and he get, and because we're image bearers, we're always doing that in light of what he is and his lordship. So the big thing, the overarching thing is God's lordship over all of us. And we have to be able to submit to things. So I've, I've never been one to, I tried to have schedules and I tried to have things where I need to do things every day. And I try to follow my calendar. I just don't do that anymore because there Life would always happen. Something would get in my way. Now, for you type A people, I'm not saying don't do it. If that's the way your brain works, you should do that. I mean, if, that would, if, this, if that's what keeps you running optimally, you should totally do it. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong here. But what I am saying is, if you find yourself, if you're the regimented type A person and you have your schedule and you find life interrupting that, and when you're inconvenienced, if you can look at your response, how do you respond in those times? And that should be an indicator if if whether you've made your schedule in your being perfect and holding to your schedule a God, or if you're submitting to God, when things come into your life, are you going to submit to God and say, what are you, what are you showing me here? How do I need to minister to this person? Or what do I need to give up? Maybe it's something that I'm doing, or maybe it's something that someone else needs from me that I need to do. So I, I just don't set schedules for myself. I, I take things as they come. And if I get interrupted, like you, you and I had a conversation for an hour and a half this morning that wasn't on my schedule. And, and we had some, we had a good conversation and I don't think I would have turned it down just to get my little checkbox, all my checklist done. I think there were, I gained more from that conversation than I would have checking the boxes. So we have to, as, as individuals, as people, uh, especially people who follow Christ, we have to be careful and, and always be evaluated. And this, again, this goes back to the community piece. I'm always going to bring that piece back in. This is why we need people in our lives to keep us in check. Because if it's left unto ourselves, we'll never, we'll never see it. We'll miss it. Things will be in the, in, in the unknown or um, in, they won't be in the arena, right? Um, so, we'll, so we'll miss things for ourselves because we're not, a very, we're not very good at self-analyzing and, and evaluating what's going on in our lives. We need perspective. It's good. And it correlates with one of the things we teach with the Johari's window at the retreats with the blind spot. That's what it made me think of. And the truth is we all have them, you know, and 
the funny part is we don't know about them. <laughs> so when someone hears that, they're like, I don't have any blind spots. Well, that's why they're a blind spot. You don't know you have them. And for all of us, you know, we, we do. And really for me, I've been exposed to my blind spot just through this book I'm reading and just some conversations I've been having with some people that no one really directly has called it out, but I'm seeing it now for the first time where I'm like, holy cow, it's there. And now I got to deal with it. So I'm in the middle of this blind spot that I'm wrestling through, but, mm-hmm. um, but it feels good to know that it's there now. And, and part of it too is like knowing that I do have blind spots makes me think about it a little bit, right? Not obsessed, but just think, what is it that I might be missing here? And asking God to reveal those blind spots to me, right? Because he can whenever he wants. Um, But, or to have community expose that to me, you know, and and pray prayerfully, you know, ask for it. And that's one of the things I've noticed that's been different in my walk over the last, you know, over about a year and a half now, is just prayer. And I know that's something we do as a community. We have a group me where we throw a lot of prayer requests in. We uh, do prayer, re- uh, we, we do prayer praises and prayer requests every other week. And then every week, um, the other opposite weeks, I know we allow prayer at the end of the call, any requests people have. And so just that weekly has been nice. But I've just noticed, you know, for me doing my sales calls, a lot of times I open with prayer. And then at the end, we have some things to really pray about because I know what's really going on in their life. So I've, you know, praying twice on a call. It's like, man, I'm praying more some days than I did before in months. And uh, it's sad to say for one, but for two, the impact that prayer has. And I can't tell you, I can't tell you because I'm going to, uh, the way that I feel after I pray is like every time, like I'll go down, put my head down, pray. And like, when I lift my head up, I I literally feel lighter. And I feel, I just feel, even if it had nothing to do with me, like a lot of times I'm not praying for me, I'm praying for others. And there's just something that happens in prayer for me now that was a little different before. And I think a part of it is one, I'm praying for others. And two, I'm not like just coming to God when I want something. I'm coming to God to just really um, in in like a reverent way, right? Of just like, I want to glorify you. I want to express my love for you. And I want to be grateful for who you are in my life. A lot of times that's what my prayers are. I I barely even get to the issue. I'm just like, you're awesome. Thank you so much for the life you've given us, the blessings, the abundance. Pray that we're stewards of those blessings and abundance. Oh yeah, and here's some things. If you could take care of these, that'd be great. But really, it's like, man, I'm just so thankful. And a lot of times I think of this, and this is my opening prayer, and then I'll I'll give it back to you, but is a lot of times I I say, God, thank you for the miracle of having me and this person intersect right now. Hmm. And that gets me like every time because I think of all the things that had to transpire in both of our lives. Like think about all the things that had to happen, like literally just even us connecting right now. Yeah. All the times God had to save us from death had to save us from a relationship, had to save us from some business that we thought maybe would take off and was going to live us life of our dreams. Uh, he saved us from so many things. And it was to connect us now to have this recorded and go out to the world. And maybe one person comes to know Christ. Maybe one person comes out to a retreat because of it and totally transforms their world. And now they're a radical Christian versus a lukewarm Christian, right? That, uh, that we don't, that we want to stay away from, you know, so point is that God knows what he's doing. 
And his providence is so beautiful in our lives when we really step back and just recognize it, you know, and, and it hit me one day just in my prayer, actually, where God just gave it. And he was like, this is a miracle that you're talking to each other right now, not just the technology, but literally that you're still alive and you're here in this moment. So now every time I come onto a call, I, that's what I think. I'm like, man, it's just such a miracle. I, I connected with a guy from a Facebook post I'd put out about doing some free coaching calls that I hadn't been seen for 14 years, at least maybe 15 years. Okay. Have not talked to him, haven't connected with him. We were even friends on social media and it came at a time where he was just in a really rough place, really dark, had no community, had no one to reach out to. And like, Hmm. I was, I was like the last leg possibly. I don't know. That's the energy I got. It was, it was God's timing. Like that's what he needed. And for us not to have seen each other for 15 years and for me to be in faith to influence, like if I wasn't in faith to influence doing what I'm doing, I wouldn't have put that post out. There's no way. Right. So like just, and how I came to faith to influence even is like a total miracle and how it's all transpired, which we're not going to get into. We don't have time for that tonight. It's going to be like a three hour episode, but just like that was like, man. And I, I actually said, I, I want you to pray us out of this. And he was just emotional the entire time, Wow, you know, because he, I feel like he was realizing like God, God had a perfect plan for us to intersect that moment so that I could tell him exactly what God wanted me to tell him exactly what God had for him. You know, and a lot of times that's what happens. Like I'll just start rattling things off. and like, I don't even know what I really just said, but I feel like it's useful. Right. So I I think that was from God because it sounds like it's pretty good and it's way better than anything I could have came up with. Um, I just, this just happened the other day with the guy on his business plan. We were talking about all these things we're trying to figure out. And it was all in this like one industry. Cause he was trying to use this industry to kind of like tap into the, like his real calling. And I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense. I keep hearing you say this over here. What if we just did this? And I just went off. And I was like, that is such a great idea. This is such a great strategy. And I'm not good at that kind of thing. I was like, I told him, I said, that was from God, brother. Like, that is what you need to be doing. That is your calling over here. And I was like, do you feel that? I mean, is that like, am I resonating? He goes, yeah, dude, you like, you like spoke exactly what I needed to hear. Fired up. And that's what I love now about my job is like, I get to be like little glimpses of the big picture for these people and really get them fired up for the God dream that they have. Right. Like a lot of times it's just this, like they have it, but it goes dormant or they have it. And they're like a little fearful of stepping out or, or sins holding them back and they need to deal with it and they haven't dealt it. And on these calls, we're able to address those things and whether they work with faith influence or not, it's like we're going somewhere and we're getting there a lot quicker than have we not had this call, which is just beautiful. So to be a part of that plan and that picture, it's like, it's impact I never thought I would have, honestly. And it's in ways I never thought I would have it. And it's such a beautiful thing once again. So yeah, I'm just so thankful for Faith Influence. So thankful for Justin just stepping out in faith. And so thankful for you just coming alongside him. Just like, oh man, just the heart that you had at the start and what God put on you. And the truth is like God called all of us at different times in different ways yeah. to where even our team is like totally... God's hand weaving us together with our gifts, with our talents, with our differences, all of that makes it a really strong foundation for the future. And 
you know, that's something I, I think we should wrap up with is just what does the future look like for faith influence? What are some things that we're seeing? Uh, what is, what is Justin talking about? What, what, what are some of those things for our faith influence followers, but also for those that don't really know what we're about to, to know what's to come? Yeah, it was, it was good. I actually, I actually felt compelled to, to comment on some of the stuff that you were sharing. <clears throat> I think, I think prayer is such a, prayer is the best way to love people. I mean, what better way to love on someone than to invoke God that you, to invite God into a certain thing. And really what us Christians are guilty of is not praying hard enough in the littlest things. Like we, we think we should only come to God with big things and we are very guilty of not coming to him for the very specific things. Like we should come to him when we have, you know, a stubbed toe, we should come to him when like the, the, the recipe didn't come well, come out well, right? We, we botched dinner. We should come to him as, as faithfully in the littlest things as we do in the big things when we're, when we're suffering or when there's a lot of joy and stuff. And I think those little things are what builds character in people. It what's, it's what drives people closer to God. The big things are important as well, but the little things are equally important. And a lot of times we dismiss them. We don't think about them. Like, Lord, be with me in this conversation as, I, as we go back and forth. May I just glorify you. And if I say something wrong, may you convict me of it. May you, may you cause me to be humble about it and apologize where I need to apologize and to turn the cheek where I need to turn the other cheek. And... Uh, and to be proud where I need to be proud and to let go of pride where I need to let go of pride. The, th- the thing about, yeah, we, we just, one of the things that we share at the retreats on prayer, one of the things I sh- share retreats is um, this idea of like the morning offering, which is a Catholic prayer um, idea. And it's basically to start your morning with God, I, I'm going to forget you. I'm not going to pray as, as often as I should. I'm going to forget to read the word. I'm going to forget to give you glory. I'm going to want to take the glory for myself. I'm going to take your name in vain. I'm going to lie. I might steal. I might think the bad thoughts. I might feel the wrong feelings in my heart. I'm going to do all these things and forget you and forget to give you glory. Like I'm going to protect me, save me from those things, prepare my heart for this day, Lord, that I would give you glory, that I would remember you in all that I do that I would consider your precepts, that I would think of your proverbs and your Psalms as I engage in people, as I engage um, in my computer and the things that I have to do and the distractions that I have to do. Just be with me in all these little things when I'm cooking dinner and shepherding my kids and having these vision visibility conversations, whatever, Lord, like be there with me. I think the other thing I wanted to say that I think is important for us to hear, for you to hear, for me to hear over and over, and for maybe the people listening to hear. I, I had a, a friend over the other day and he's going through a really hard time. And he can't get a job. He, he actually was having a hard time getting a job before the whole coronavirus. And now it's become that much more difficult. So he's struggling. He's losing a bit of his identity. And that's, that's also, there's something there to that too. Men identify with their work and that could be detrimental as well. But I, I had no answer for him. Like I, like a lot of times people expect us or they come to us for like, help me find my God purpose. What's my vision? What's my purpose for life? And a lot of times it's as simple as just being obedient unto what, the God, what God says. Like be obedient in prayer. 
be obedient in reading scripture, be faithful to your church, be faithful to the responsibilities that you have, like your family, cleaning your house, making your bed, taking care of your wife, praying for your wife, being over your wife. I'm not good at all those things, but like, it's not, it's not always this, like, I need to go feed thousands of people, or I need to start this new business, or I need to make millions of dollars or impact a lot of people. It's like, be obedient in the things that God has given you to be obedient in. Follow his, follow his commandments, follow him, right? Just follow him, seek after him, love him. And if we can do that well, we'll find that there's a lot of flourishing in that. Whenever we find work, even if it's not the work that we want to do, we'll have a joyful and obedient response to it. And that's, that's like the key. So I think for people hearing that, it's like, God will give you your purpose and he'll put you into the thing that you need to be doing like he put me and like he put Daniel. Um, stop wanting it so bad and don't give up on it search after God and, and he'll give it to you in time. But if you can be obedient and faithful in the little things, how much more prepared are you and your character and your virtue for those big things when they come up? Um, like if you don't, if you don't train on how to manage money, then why would you want to win the lottery and win all that money? If you don't know how to manage it, you're going to, you're going to blow it away. You have to be obedient in the little things. So I think in, in, in part, um, and Justin has probably a lot more to say on this, but our our vision is to help men flourish, to to be pointing men to God and to help them find whatever it is they're doing. And a lot of these men probably already know what they should be doing. They just need the encouragement. They need to get the weight off, like we were talking about earlier. There's this heavy weight that's weighing them down. They don't, they can't move forward, right? Because they've got this anchor that's that's tying them in, in position and they can't make any progress because they need someone to help lift up the anchor. And so a lot of that is just, that's, that's what we're doing is impacting men. And we're hoping that we impact enough men that other people will do something similar. The truth is faith to influence shouldn't be a unique company. The, the fact that there's only a few companies that are like us is a problem. We, there should be hundreds and hundreds of companies like us doing what we're doing, impacting men intimately, creating, creating safe spaces for and I don't mean that in the, the modern term safe spaces, but creating spaces for men to experience God, to experience what it looks like to be vulnerable with other men, to encourage, to mentor, to father one another. And that I think is primarily what we're in the business of doing is, is equipping men to be better fathers, better business people, better politicians, better judges, better technology app widget builders, better everything. Like if, if men want to be nurses, they need to be better nurses. You know, we shouldn't settle for good. We should always be looking to be better unto God. One thing that I really feel like God's working on me and through me with is, is this whole attachment situation. And when you brought up your friend that's struggling with that identity piece, it's, a part of that identity, I think, is what we're attached to, which is sometimes or most of the time coming from our society, our culture, the norms, right, that, that we have. And in America, there's just a certain way that we're expected to show up as a man, as a father, as a husband. And 
when we don't show up that way, it kind of rocks the boat, right? For everyone involved. And one of the, I had talking to a client today and one of the things that came up was, I believe when we have really hit that flow of being right with God, right? And and walking out that Christ-like walk, it's this. We always show up the same to where outside looking in, people can't tell if you're dead broke, homeless, in debt to everybody, or if you're a billionaire. They shouldn't be able to tell a difference. Why? Because you have this joy, right? The joy that only Christ can bring. You have this freedom, this freedom that only Christ can bring. You have this compassion that only can be given because we've been given that compassion first, that love first, right? And so my thought is like, you have a Mother Teresa who's maybe had more impact than many billionaires have, have had, right? It doesn't matter where we're at from the socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter really what other people think of us, but it goes back to saying like, are you being obedient to the calling that the Lord has on your life? And that's really my heart for this whole thing is helping men figure that out. Like it's not, how everybody else sees you. It's not how the world sees you. It's how God sees you. Yeah. And are we living that out day to day and not just living it out, but sharing it and also being loud and proud to be that and not pride in a bad way, but proud to say like, Mm -hmm. Christ is my savior and stand for it. I think we're just, we're in an economy, a society, a culture, whatever you want to call it of like, that being hard to do, it's, 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 it's where I know I, at some level was fearful of just stepping out and being firm in it. Right. A lot of it had to do with my own sin. A lot of it had to do with, uh, you know, maybe some people within the company I was in, you know, looking at it a certain way. And eventually I just got to a place of like, no, there's no more of this. Like it can't go on anymore. And that's, that's my desire. You know, I, I struggle when I see someone on social media. So I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's somewhat necessary. I haven't spoken to the world yet and God's put it on my heart, but you know, you have someone come on and they give you a scripture on their social media story. And the very next thing is them working out. And every other word is like, it's garbage, right? Like, I'm like, wait, so hold on. Like, and I'm not like, it's not like a judging, but it's like, if a non-believer sees that they go, Oh, they listen to the same music I listen to. Why would I want to follow that Christ you follow? It's more rules and right. You're doing what I'm doing anyway. So there's not change in life. There's no, there's no difference. Right. And then, or they see that person like super depressed because they lost something in their life. Right. And they just can't get out of it. And it's like, wait, you talk about this God that's so awesome. You talk about this miracle worker. That's so awesome. Why are you devastated and you can't get out of this rut for six months, eight months, eight years, a decade, right? And that's, for me, this whole COVID season has been such a struggle for me to watch the way we have responded to it or reacted to it, where we're selling out of toilet paper. Like we're a Christian country that is more worried about having a clean rear end than professing the name 
of the person that came, lived a perfect life, and died for our sins. And we get more caught up, more fearful of that than the God that created everything. So we're living with our girlfriend or boyfriend, right? And putting up scripture and going to church, but very, very bluntly showing the world that you're living together. That, that That's a blending of things once yeah, again, or, right? Yeah. Well, you've got to remember though, because of the distortions, I mean, I think people liked, I think a lot of people follow Christ because when they look at the person who, who will post the scripture out of context and not think, not thoughtfully think about what they're posting for themselves and apply it to themselves. And then they go out in the next minute and they're at the gym doing all these things, listening to the music or using the words or whatever. People are like, oh, that's the Jesus you follow? I can get with, down with that. It doesn't look like I have to change my life very much. I'll follow that. So they've distorted, they've distorted the faith, right? And so our culture loves Jesus. They love, they love that Jesus, they love that Jesus is a lover. And they, they overemphasize Jesus's love and they underemphasize his righteousness and his justice and that he's not only a perfect lover, but he's also a very just, just and righteous God. Like he's also, he, I mean, he will judge you. He will judge you. And people will reject that about God. They don't like the judgy part. They love the loving thing. And the, he accepts all and he's compassionate. And so there's, and so, you know, to tie in what you were saying with, with me, a big part of my thing for faith to influence it, my involvement anyways, and the thing that I feel most passionate about it. And you know this, it, my answer is always simple. When people ask me very complex questions, is it, it's Jesus. Like that's the answer. If you want to know what your purpose is and where your identity is, read scripture. He's revealed himself there. Like you won't get that through creation. You're not going to get that from man. We've distorted everything. We even distort our own lives. We can't even be intimate with the people that love us, right? You've got men who are intimately telling you things that they've never told anybody close to them. And you've only met them 30 seconds or a minute. How distorted is that? So. For me, it's as simple as you want to know what your calling is. You, you want to know what to be obedient in. Just read, read, read the word. Read the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. Don't read just the New Testament. Read the whole thing. And then when you get done, reread it again. And when you get done, reread it again. And then read a commentary about it. And then read some other Christian that's commenting on this one thing. And then read another Christian that has a different commentary on that one thing. Do those things over and over again. And you'll know what your purpose is. You'll know what you ought to be doing. And I would argue that it's not as big as you think it is. It's being obedient in the littlest things like praying and reading your word and glorifying God. I love it, man. If we can, uh, if we can just do the little things and at the end of the journey, we get to the pearly gates and he says, good and faithful servant. Yeah. That's my yeah. brother right there. That's what I want to hear. That's my well, brother, father. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I also want to clarify this because when I say little things, I don't want to minimize it and make it sound like it's an easy thing. There's nothing easy about going to the word and exposing yourself to that. It's hostile. It's radical. It, it, it will undo you. Like reading God's word will undo you, will break you. And that's the purpose is to, that he breaks you so that he can build you up and make you something stronger. It's not an easy, doing the little things is not easy. Getting up every day, making your bed or getting up every day at the same time to do your workout is not an easy thing to do. 
but we might, but it is a little thing and we must do it. Love it. Good. <laughs> yep. Faith to influence the place where big men learn how to do the little things. Flex their muscles. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode and until the next one, catch you later. Later.